Welcome back to 1A, a podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina. 1A is designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. Reverend Squires is the pastor of counseling here at First Presbyterian Church, and I'm Josh Adair, the intern for Biblical Counseling. Today's episode marks the eighth episode in our series discussing suicide. Today, we begin to discuss how to help those who are survivors of a suicide and some of the short-term questions that they might face. If you have any comments about our show or a question about something you hear on this episode, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can find all of our contact info on our website at firstpresscolumbia.org. If you'd like to stay aware of new episodes, you can download our app by searching for First Presbyterian Church of Columbia SC in the app store of your choice. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and those around you. Let's get to the conversation. Welcome back to 1A. Once again, joining me is... My soon-to-be, no-longer intern, <laughs> Josh Adair. Josh, I want to start out by just saying how much I've really appreciated you and your ministry here, and especially this podcast. It's been great. I think our goal is to continue this podcast even post-launch, but... Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna have to elbow some of the other interns for a, for a spot at the table, but yeah. I, it's been a highlight of my time here, Josh. It's been really wonderful, and thank you for that encouragement. Absolutely. Um, for those of you who might not know... Our beloved Josh Adair has taken a position. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about that position quickly? Yeah, I am going to be the Minister of Discipleship at First Presbyterian Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Hattiesburg. Hattiesburg. Yeah, I got to get that right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Got to get used to the Hattiesburg in Mississippi. And so it's an opportunity we're really excited about. I'll be working with folks from the age range of 18 to 35 in the congregation. I'll be assimilating or, uh, I guess, orientating, if you will, new members to the congregation and I'll have plenty of opportunities to preach and teach. So That's fantastic. I'm really excited for you. And again, sad for us. Yeah. We're losing a tremendous asset in you, my brother. You've been so helpful here, but excited for you. Our goal, of course, like I said, is to try and continue to do this podcast even from Hattiesburg. Absolutely. Um, maybe we can continue it. But I also recognize that <laughs> there's going to be so much on your plate once you get there and sure right what what seemed like a good idea here may may not be a good idea so we'll see where this goes maybe if if you can't then maybe get another intern to jump in or whatever but we, i would love to we actually do have to talk about some ideas for this summer yes. of uh one of our interns josh fleming would like to do a series on getting kids ready for college as they oh, go off so, nice that would be yeah. that would be a great series and you know mike kruger has a book coming out on that very issue, but it's not going to be released yes, until does. the fall. Too um, late, Mike. Too I know. <laughs> Come on. Come on, Mike. But I'm really looking forward to it. I've got a daughter that is starting high school, and so this is on my mind. Like, how do I make good use of these four years? Absolutely. In order to get her so where she is prepared. And, she, yeah, so that'd be a good topic for us to discuss. For sure. And, hey. and one from your own existential experience yes, of you what hear, you're walking through. Yes, you will hear much <laughs> hand-wringing and anxiety, as I'm doing right now, as mm. we think about this particular issue. Okay, so that might be in the future. Josh Adair here, not here. Hopefully his voice is still on here, college or whatever. What yes. are we talking about today? Well, Josh, uh, as many of our listeners know, we've been working through a very difficult series on suicide. Yeah. How do we understand the phenomenon of suicide from a biblical lens? How do we help the loved ones who are caretakers of those struggling with suicide? How do we as a church come alongside those caretakers? And and, it, and this has been now, I think, six 
Are we six or seven? I think episodes? this is this is episode seven, I believe. The long I did not intend for this to be the longest series we've recorded. Yeah. On this particular well, issue. Well, yeah, our, our sex and sexuality episodes were longer. Were they really? Yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. So so maybe so. that makes me a little better. But aren't we done yet? Are we done talking about this <laughs> issue? Yeah, I think that I think that, that that sense of are we done yet reflects the gravity of the issue, yeah. Yeah. but also the complexity of the issue. And the right. answer, sadly, is that we are not because we have talked through a lens of what it looks like to come alongside those who are struggling but the fact is, is that with with this issue, there are many who will actually go on to attempt suicide mm-hmm. and who will actually succeed in taking their own life. And so we need to stop and consider over this next episode what it looks like, Josh, for us as believers to think through how can we help loved ones process the grief of suicide, yeah. both in the short term and the long, in the long term. And this is Again, you know, this is a really difficult topic for for those of you who have had this touch your life. You may may want to, again, listen to this at a different time uh, where you're not doing something that requires your full on attention and where your where grief may not come and strike uh, Mm -hmm. as as quick as it might. But Mm -hmm. we're going to do our best to be sensitive and caring as we walk through this. And for those of you who have had this touch your life, it might be wise for you to listen to it later. Yeah, so this is going to be an episode for suicide survivors. And by sure. survivors, we mean surviving family members. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, you may think, okay, what what we were even talking before we started this episode today of, uh, should we talk about what if someone takes... Attempts to take their own uh, life. Attempts to take their own life and does not succeed. The, the sad fact of this, friends, is that for those who attempt, the percentage rates of those who attempt and do not succeed is much smaller yeah. than those who do. And for our counsel that we've already offered, we would, we would point those who have attempted suicide and not succeeded to say, praise the Lord that yeah. he has delivered you in Amen. this moment. And even to point you back, uh, this is a moment where you should pause and really see the help that you need. But right. we have, have sought to try and advocate for that through our series so far. And so we're going to focus particularly right. on those who are suicide survivors. That's right. Those, those that have attempted and and the Lord has spared them, praise the Lord. The yeah. information that we would give them is not too much different than what we would give for those contemplating suicide. Sure. And so those particular episodes would be very helpful for them. Absolutely. And so that start, that starts us off today, Josh, with just a general question that I thought we could we could handle together of how how is the grief of suicide survivorship different from grief related to other tragic circumstances? There's there's the grief of, you know, I've lost a loved one mm-hmm. who was unexpected or even was expected. Yeah. But this just seems like it might be its own type of grief. And I would I would Love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. What makes suicide survivorship a particularly painful and difficult kind of grief Sure, is that we're unable easily to process the category of their death without pain. So mm-hmm. what do I mean by that? Well, if someone is killed tragically, let's say they're in a car accident mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, you know, the Lord decides it's time for them to come home. Or let's say someone's battling cancer, and so you have time to prepare for their death. Sure. You don't have time usually to prepare for this person's death. And any time you think about their death, it causes grief because of the manner in which they died, the Mm -hmm. manner in which they took their own life. So one of the things that I often talk about to 
those who are contemplating suicide, they will begin to entertain the idea that everyone would be better off without me. And the answer is absolutely not. You cannot find any data that would support that that is true. Mm. And experientially, I don't know anyone, and, and you know, I've been doing this now for nearly 15 years, I don't know anyone who can look back on the suicide of a loved one who goes, oh yeah, I'm glad they did that. I'm really glad that that's mm. the ending that they chose for themselves. Whereas in a tragedy, we can say, wow, that was really young. Wow, that was really abrupt or was really whatever it is. But I'm, I'm glad they're in glory. And you can find kind of a rested, settled place. With suicide, it's hard to get. Not impossible. So I don't want to take away settledness from those who may know a loved one who's committed suicide. And if they've done the hard work to get to a place where it's no longer painful to really look at it. Sure. But oftentimes that's really, really hard and it feels unsettled. And part of the reason that feels unsettled is there are all the questions about should I have seen it coming? Should I have done more? All sure. of those things that have to be processed. And even as much as one assures oneself, like I did everything I knew how to do and you know, we even kicked this whole series off with trying to get out of that lie that is that you're responsible for somebody else taking their sure. life. It's really hard to get to the place where you don't feel some sort of guilt and shame mm. over the fact that they, they took their own life. And so just having to do that, every time you look at it, you've got to go through all those steps, and it can just swamp you for days, weeks, months sometimes. And so it's it's a really complicated and difficult issue, which is why every time we started one of these series like you did or episodes like you did earlier we try to give people a warning like this yeah. may bring up grief for you that's very intense and unexpected even if the suicide of the person you loved is 15 20 25 years old mm. it, it's just really hard to get that into a place where it doesn't have a well of grief yeah i appreciate your parallel of the well sort of imagery like you don't know how deep it goes it, it just kind of like usually wells are drilled into natural springs it's just yeah. got this source in your life of pain that just it weeps over time yeah and it's something that in in the lord's mercy he will he will console eventually that's in right our, in our eschatology our end times view of all things that one day even a sadness like this will come untrue right um, but until that point, we we need to think carefully about how do we how do we consider the short term, and then how do we consider the long term of struggling with this kind of grief? Right. And the other thing is, is just to have that expectation for yourself if you're mm. a survivor of a family member who's committed suicide. That there may be times when it feels like it has less power over your life. Yeah. You finally feel like you've broken through the clouds and you can see light again. And then for whatever reason, mm. find yourself down in the darkest pit. Mm. And, and okay, that does happen. And God's grace is sufficient for you even in that. Like he will see you through. He yeah. will be the light. He will be the air that comes back in. But don't give up. Don't stop having faith. Don't stop running to the Lord. Don't stop using God's people to help you. And don't believe the lie that it won't ever get any better. Yeah. It, it will. It just rarely gets to a place where it ultimately feels resolved like other deaths can. Sure, sure. And that's the most difficult aspect of it. But So that brings us to just a first a follow-up question to that, Josh. Yeah. What are particularly, you've mentioned some of those, especially mm -hmm. as we mentioned past episodes, what are particularly some of the questions that survivors of suicide might face that would be 
incredibly guilt for me. Or, or wait, before we even go there, sure. you even mentioned a, a sort of like layout of a lens, a series of lenses that you would use to help you think through the short-term questions and even the long-term questions when we were preparing for today. You said there were three S's in terms of how you help people think about this. What are those three S's? Yeah. So in the wake of suicide, Satan often tempts us in multiple ways. And so I'm a Presbyterian, so I like three points. And <laughs> alliteration. Alliteration <laughs> makes my little Presbyterian heart happy. So this is my my way of trying to help people an easy, memorable way. And so those three S's are shame, seduction, and seclusion. Yeah. Those are the three general types of temptations that come in the wake of suicide. So let's take each one for a second. Sure. Shame. First off, that Satan wants to tempt you to feel incredibly responsible and guilty for this. Mm. He, he wants you to believe that there was something you could have done to prevent it and that it's all your fault. And that makes the grief even more difficult for you. It complicates your grief. You're not just losing a loved one, but you feel like, are you responsible even for murder type of level of shame and guilt? And so you want to be able to push against that, know that you responded in the best way you knew how, that it's you know between the Lord and that person, what ultimately happened. And of course, get the help that you need in order to be able to process and grieve and grieve well. Sure. But that shame and guilt, it can swamp you. It really can pull you down into a mire that you can't get yourself out of, especially the closer the person was, Mm. closer the friend, the dear, the loved one, the more you feel responsible for the fact that they got to that hopeless place. Mm. And then that hopeless place can get you into a hopeless place. Sure. Which then leads to the second S, which is seduction. Yeah. And Satan often in the wake of suicide seduces others Mm. unto suicide. There really is a phenomenon where once there is one suicide, other suicides are more likely. Now that also depends on context. So if there's a suicide, for instance, in a school with school-aged children, then suicide is much more likely in that population. Uh, as you get older, it's less and less likely. And yet, nonetheless, inside families, inside, inside communities, once there's a suicide, suicide seems like it is a greater temptation for others. People see that they actually affected you know, the end of this life. Other people, again, feel responsible and want to leave that sense of responsibility. Yeah. And so Satan often comes and tempts people and says, okay, it's time for you to take your own life as well. And so you need to be prepared for, even if you haven't struggled with suicide, that maybe that particular temptation comes on and comes on strongly for the very first time. And you need to be willing and able to resist that particular temptation mm. uh, as you fight it. And then the last S is seclusion. So Mm. in the midst of feeling ashamed, in the midst of feeling tempted to take even one's own life, we often seclude ourselves because grief looks different, expresses itself different for every single person. Mm -hmm. And in the wake of a suicide, if it's someone that we love, it's likely to be close, also be someone that those who were, were close to, someone they loved. So if it was a family member, well, who do I tend to lean on? Other family members. And yet they're grieving that same death as well. If it was a close friend, who do we tend to lean on? It's our friends, but it's close. It's likely to be their close friend as well. And so it's hard for us to mutually grieve because our grief goes in different patterns, different expressions. Mm. While we have some general overview of what it, grief might look like in the moment, moment to moment, I might be in the pit 
And my pit expression, if it's anger or if it's weeping or if it's not wanting to get out of bed, might be different than someone else's pit, which is they force themselves to work and be distracted and numb. And so it's really hard for people to support one another in the wake of a suicide. And so all of a sudden they find themselves not only tempted to seclude, but functionally secluding themselves because it's the only thing that you can do. And again, you just have to fight against that and find your areas of support. And we talked about that a number of times. If it's professional people or if it's personal people Mm -hmm. and those friends, family members, acquaintances, or pastors, counselors, Mm -hmm. therapists, you just got to find your spaces where you're not going to seclude and where people are going to be burden bearers in that Galatians 6-2 way with you. Yeah, they've actually... and prep for this particular episode, I did some research on just what they have discovered about bereavement of people who are survivors of suicide. And in a in one group study, they actually found out that there's, there's sort of a fourfold lens that they talk about how these folks were actually processing through this together. Mm. There's always a sense in which they were trying to make sense of the suicide, try to find some cause of why it happened. Uh, Everyone in the group uh, also walked through the stage of, uh, you know, this is my fault. This is this person's fault. This is this event's fault. Yeah. Very normal to try and find a a sense of, want to attribute a sense of cause behind it. There's also the very similar sense of, you talked about seduction of, wanting to die actually wanting to go through the same sort of like Mm -hmm. process and even commit that or just wanting our wanting life to be taken from us because of the pain of that particular instance yeah so you know again and i think i said this in the first episode but suicide is often not a desire to die but a desire to no longer be in pain yeah and so when we are facing the reality of the death of a loved one and it is coupled with the sort of shame seclusion that we feel oftentimes in the wake of it, that seduction to be done with pain that seems overwhelming and non-ending yeah. can be incredibly intense. And the abiding nature of this pain makes it particularly acute yeah, as well. That's right. So, And yeah. I think you bring up a good point. There is a sense cognitively where you feel like if I could just figure out why they did this, mm. It would allow me to move forward, but the truth is it doesn't. Yeah. That, that, is, that is also a lie, that if you just completely understood why they did it, you could prevent others, you could understand. Actually, this is in that grieving process, denial, anger, bargaining, depressions, and acceptance. This is the bargaining phase. It's mm. the sneaky bargaining phase. Yeah. We don't recognize we're doing it, but we're trying to figure out why they did it so that we can kind of bargain, well, we'll prevent this from ever happening again. We'll be Mm. able to perfectly make sure that this doesn't happen or that we can understand it. Now I'm informed and educated, so now I know and it won't happen again. Yeah, and not that there's not a place to be more educated to understand signs and whatever, but that's not going to perfectly prevent something like this from taking place in the future. So they've sensed a similar pattern in in those group studies of wanting to find a cause, again, the same sort of seduction of like wanting to die ourselves, and then... Finding, trying to find ways to cope with it that were healthy, healthy and unhealthy. It's it's something that it just makes us run a thousand different directions with all of the grief that we've experienced, mm-hmm. um, and it continues to push in those different sort of directions because we're just so much trying to make sense of it. But it's something that ultimately we have to realize there's not 
we're not privy to knowing the exact reason. We're not privy to knowing the exact cause and that there's a lot of mystery behind That's right. what is in the actions of our loved ones. And it also has a bit of a simplified view of the person in the sense that we tend to look at it as completely cognitive, that they rationally got to this place. And oftentimes with suicide, while there can be a cognitive component, it's largely a motive. It's yeah. largely a decision of the heart that says, mm-hmm. I can't continue in this way. And so trying to get to the rationale, even in our own hearts, our hearts are so labyrinthian, it's hard for us to understand our own desires, yeah. let alone try to understand perfectly the desires of others. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it, it's not that there's no place for trying to understand someone better yeah. But the idea that you could understand it completely is is a bit of an idol that can grow up in our hearts. Sure. And we have to die to that and say, I, I can't know the complete cause. I trust the Lord that somehow in his divine providence that Romans 8.28 is true. Yeah. And this is going to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Well, Josh, those three S's have been so helpful to me as I've begun to think of the short term, but we are also running low on time today. So in an order to preserve the attention of our hearers, why don't we take a break and we'll come back next time and discuss the long-term questions, how, how we can take God's truth and apply it to the long-term questions for those who are survivors of suicide. We hope that you guys can join us again for our next and final episode in this series, and we look forward to talking to you then. May God bless. Until then.